Please join me this morning in the book of Micah and chapter 6. After 12 weeks in chapter 5, we are now ready to move on to a new chapter. And we're going to do so this morning by reading verses 1 through 5 of Micah chapter 6. The Bible says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed thee out of the house of servants, and I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak king of Moab consulted, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Amen. So as this chapter opens, we find God making a call for all to give ear to what he is about to say. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. And I think it's noteworthy when we come to some passages like this to just pause for a second and highlight the reason why we use the King James Bible. We talked about some things in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 and how there's an attack on Jesus' deity there. In our Bible, it says that he is from everlasting. New Bibles say he's from ancient times. That's an attack on his deity. And so here we see the significance. People say, do we really need the ye's and the thou's and all that old English? Yes. That's how it was written originally. That's how it's captured here. And we see another instance of how this is beneficial here. It, it, It says here, hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains. Ye and thou, they're very significant. And we find in this chapter, it opens with God speaking to a plurality. It says ye. But then God transitions to Micah, singularly, and it says thou. And and really what is happening is God is calling the earth and the, the heavens here, the creation, to witness against backslidden Israel. Because in verse 1, God says Hear ye, and then in verse 2 we see who he's speaking to. Hear ye, O mountains, and ye strong foundations of the earth. And listen, this kind of language is not unique to, to Micah. A lot of the prophets spoke this way, and we find this kind of thing throughout the Old Testament. And as God's prophets would herald the message that God gave them against Israel's sinfulness, he would call heaven and earth. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. Deuteronomy 31, 28. Gather unto me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears, and call heaven and earth to record against you. God can call heaven and earth and all of nature to witness because as David said in Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and they that dwell therein. And I wish the climate alarmists could get a hold of that verse. The earth is the Lord's. As a meteorologist, I'll hold my thoughts. Amen? All right. 
God calls His creation to the stand because He can. (laughs) And if mankind won't testify of God's goodness and righteousness and holiness, then His creation will and God will get the glory. Matthew 3, 7-9, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers. Well, he didn't sound very PC. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. In Luke 19, verses 37 through 40, And when he, speaking of Jesus, was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had, uh, had seen, that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. There's always that group, amen, that fringe. I don't like what's happening at Liberty. Would you just... Amen. Maybe I, I hear that more because of the position I'm in, but I just smile and say, God bless you. Amen. You just stay as dry as dust and keep doing what you're doing. But anyway, uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to keep saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. And, and so they, they said, You need to rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if they should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Amen. Psalm 96, 11 through 13, let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful in all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh. For he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. So God calls creation to witness. Now why specifically here in Micah is God calling the mountains and their strong foundations to this hearing that God is about to have with His people? It's because it was upon the mountains that Israel would practice their wickedness. It, it was upon the mountains that they would have this gross immorality that they would in, in, engage in as they were worshiping their pagan gods. In chapter 1, God, He spoke of the high places of both the house of Israel and the house of Judah and how God was going to take all their graven images and beat them and their idols, He says, they would be made desolate. In Micah 3.12, Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field and Jerusalem shall become heaps in the mountain of the house of the high places of the forest. God routinely addressed the high places or the mountaintops because this is where they set up their idol worship. This is where they planted their groves. This is where they had their altars that they would sacrifice to their false gods. Remember while in chapter 5, God said, Thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee. And thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands, and I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee. So will I destroy thy cities." Well, this all took place on the mountaintops. And so God says, I've I've got to get rid of it. Now He's calling these mountaintops to testify, to witness against Israel's idolatry. You may remember earlier in this prophecy how Micah had already brought an indictment against the princes, the prophets, the priests, the people. Everyone was engaged in this covetousness that was going on. and, and, And God brings Micah on the scene to... Uh, testify against them. And now God is calling creation to witness against them as proof of the charges against them. The mountains knew the truth. 
You see, the, the ones practicing it tried to act like it was not a big deal. But, but the mountains were there. They saw it. They, they had to bear up that idolatry. The mountains were witness to the gutter of their immorality. The mountains knew the truth of what took place. And here's the thing about the mountains. The mountains knew this for generations. Not just this one generation that thought they were getting away with it, but they knew beforehand, they knew what would be happen afterwards, or they would see what would happen afterwards. And in all of this symbolism of God calling creation, I believe this, God is saying, I see everything you do. There's nothing hid from mine eyes. And sometimes we think if we can get low enough, we can hide. And, and what makes this so sad is that they were brazenly out in the open on the mountaintops for all to see. No shame. You ever feel like that's where we're at in America today? No shame. Where's the shock value? So here they are. They're on the mountaintops. They're practicing their idolatry. And God's going to begin to contend with them. In Isaiah, who is Micah's contemporary, by the way, he opens in Isaiah 1-2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Is it any wonder then that God would say in Isaiah 2-2, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. <laughs> I love this. And shall be exalted above the hills. The nations shall flow into it. God says, I'm going to be exalted. You put all this stuff on the mountaintops and, and you tried to elevate all this stuff. But listen, God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on the mountaintops. I'm going to be exalted above the hills. And, and God is higher than all these false gods is what He's saying. And His law now, it goes forth from the high place of Mount Zion. His word goes forth from the mountain of Jerusalem. All nations flow unto it and say, Come ye and let us go to the mountain of the Lord. What a blessing. And so we see in verse 1 that the Lord is about to speak. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. But don't miss this. God isn't going to speak audibly. No, God here, rather, He's going to speak through Micah, His prophet. And though we no longer have prophets in the sense of, of the way they were used in the Old Testament times, God still speaks through people. Because he speak, we speak His Word. And, and God still uses people to speak. And, and God's method, it has been a source of contention for many throughout the ages. Sometimes, rightfully so, there's some scoundrels out there. Even in the Old Testament times, there were divisions on which voice was correct. There were false prophets in their day as well. This is nothing new, amen? And in fact, uh, God was clear. He said, look, if a prophet tells you something's going to come to pass and it doesn't, he's wrong. <laughs> it's pretty simple, amen? If it comes to pass, that's the one you follow. And, and so it's nothing new that we have this. Uh, some today will say, what makes you so special that you can know what God thinks? Who do you think you are to judge me? What makes you so sure that you have the Word of God? Some are not as snarky about it. I think they're genuinely seeking. Because there's so many voices out there today. And I think some people are just genuinely seeking for truth, trying to see what voice is the right one out of all the voices that are out there. There's the Catholic voice, the Mormon voice, 
the Jehovah Witness voice, the Muslim voice, the Hindu voice, the Buddhist voice, the Jewish voice, the Christian voice, the voice of humanism, the voice of atheism. And that's just to name a few. Which one of those are correct? Now, don't put yourself in an independent, I'm here in Sunday school kind of a mindset when I ask that question, but put yourself in the lost person that grew up in a home without a Bible, without any religious influence, and they're out there trying to figure out what's the right voice. We've got all this to choose from. And then if you drill down even further, there are even more voices within the larger voices because there's different sects within many of these major religions. For example, there's different sects of uh, Mormons, of Muslims, of Jews. There's different sects out there. And and then within so-called Christianity, there's so many denominational voices. We have voices of the Presbyterians. The Methodists, the Lutherans, Reformers, Pentecostal, Church of Christ, Church of God, Church of God in Christ. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and of course, Baptist. And that's, that's not even an exhaustive li- uh, listing. And then, to make it even more complicated, you can drill that down even further. And then there's voices within those denominational voices. You know, I don't know if it's to be trusted, and you can laugh, but I went to Wikipedia. You know what it said in the United States that there are over or there are 56 Baptist denominations in America. 56. That's more than one per state. There are churches like ours. We're independent. Therefore, we are technically non-denominational. But we use the term Baptist and that confuses some and they assume that we identify with a uh, some sort of denomination, but really we use the term Baptist because we, we believe it identifies a doctrine that we hold. Amen? And, and so there's a lot of confusion out there is what I'm saying. And then even within the independent Baptist movement, there's different sects. There's at least three that I know of. What's the right voice? It's a mess out there. It is a mess. Because of this confusion which exists out there, God says to Micah, In verse 1, get this, arise, contend. Contend. The call of God to His prophet is to contend. To contend means to defend by way of pleading, debating, rebuking. And it essentially means this, to wrestle. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to invite people to literally wrestle us, amen? Although there are some in our stripe that would probably really like that opportunity. Um, (laughs) we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Amen. We wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, for sure, these forces are manifested through fleshly people. But ultimately, we need to recognize our enemy is not literally the pope, the priest, the imams, the rabbis, the elders, the monks, the pastors, etc. But our enemy, it is spiritual in nature. And so what does God do? He calls for His people to contend, to wrestle, to grapple. Proverbs 28.4, They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. We, God's people, people of His word, are to contend with the wicked. We are to wrestle against the false doctrines and the false prophets of our day. You hear me say often, we don't have to be cantankerous as we do. 
But we can be bold knowing that we have the truth. Titus 1 verses 9 through 14 says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, low bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. That's what contending is. That's what I'm trying to say we ought to be doing. What we learn from that passage in Titus is that we are to learn the Word of God, and then we are to apply the Word of God. But I wonder how many today don't really know the Word of God. You see, we have to uh, hold fast the faithful word. We must know sound doctrine. Do you know what sound doctrine is today? We must be sound in the faith. And so ultimately, if one is going to contend, then they must know the word of God. Jude verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So no doubt we have been called to contend. But what good is your contending if you don't really know what it is you are contending for? (laughs) Do you know God's Word? Can you defend your faith? Can you wrestle with the gainsayers? Jeremiah put it this way, If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace wherein thou trustest they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? Many contend initially because they have a zeal. But they often go to battle with that zeal without knowledge. I love zealous Christians, I do. But Paul warned, you've got to have knowledge with your zeal. And and what happens is, I've seen it now, I've I've been in long enough to know now that the zealous ones without knowledge, they go out there and they get themselves shot. They're not battle ready. And they get themselves shot. They leave with more questions than they gave answers. And and it's just strange for me because now we live in this day that you can just click, 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 click. And so you get these and I've seen it more with our young military, you get these young men in, and they're just clicking away at YouTube. Knowledge, 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 knowledge. You know what Peter said? You need to have virtue first. Then you add knowledge. So they get themselves shot, they get hurt, they they get confused, they get embarrassed in the company of those who seek to destroy our faith, and they never convince any. I've now seen it firsthand. They had a tremendous amount of zeal, but they refused to be dis- uh, discipled properly. And as they went out to contend, they fell flat on their faith, face or they left altogether. And they ended up abandoning the very things that led them to this church. 
I'm talking about some young men who said, I believe the King James is the Bible we ought to be using. And they went out, they went contending. They had zeal, but they didn't have knowledge, and they ended up leaving this whole thing altogether. And now they're in places I never thought they would be. And it was because I don't need to be discipled. I've got YouTube. After 9-11, there was a lot of zeal to serve in our nation's military. Thank God. But the military wasn't foolish enough to say, boy, you've got a lot of zeal. Here's a weapon. Now go out on the battle and start firing. No. They said, you know what? We've got to send you through boot camp first. Basic training. We've got to get you some fundamentals first. We've got to make sure you know how to even carry your weapon and clean your weapon and use it properly and, and all of those things. And, and they, they train you first. They don't just suit you up and say, go get in the battle now. Good luck, son. Listen, that would be insanity. And nothing but carnage for the untrained soldier would ensue. Rather, what, what does the military do? They have enough sense to take a zealous soldier and they need to say, all right, sit down. This is, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we believe. These are our code of ethics. This is how we conduct battle. Now here's your weapon. Da, 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 da. They take you through a process. Now, why can't some Christians get that figured out? God has called us to contend, but he wants us to contend with knowledge. And we need to be humble enough to admit that we need training. We need to learn the basic fundamentals of sound doctrine. If you don't get grounded first, you're going to end up as a casualty on the battlefield of our Lord. All can contend, but not all can contend well. It takes training and it takes discipline. Now, to be clear, don't put words in my mouth. I'm not saying that nobody can't be a witness right away. All of us should be able to say, this is what God has done for me. He saved me. You can give your testimony. But what I am suggesting is there's a difference between witnessing and contending. And if you're going to contend, contend effectively, you must learn the Word of God. Now, I'm going to try to squeeze this in if I can. I know we're up against the time here. In relation to our theme this year, to fill Jerusalem with our doctrine, notice God says to Micah, arise. Arise. This is putting action to what we have learned. We must arise and go forth. When we arise, we are showing our obedience to God. Go ye into all the world. We must arise because our enemy is arising. The Bible says in Acts 20, verses 29 through 30, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. God told Philip, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And there he contended with an Ethiopian man. Led him to the Lord. When Peter had the vision on the rooftop, he heard a voice saying, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. Then the Spirit said to Peter, Arise, therefore, get thee down and go. Long story short, Peter led Cornelius and his house to the Lord. When Saul met the Lord on the road to Damascus, he asked Jesus, What wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go in the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And then the Lord went to a man named Ananias. How would you like to be this fellow? He goes to Ananias and he says, I need you to go meet Saul. And this is what the Lord said, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul. Then Ananias, he, he came to Saul and he said, 
Now why tarriest thou? Arise, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And Saul went on to become the Apostle Paul, and that Apostle to the Gentiles won multitudes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Obeyed. Philip obeyed. He, he arose and he went. Peter obeyed. He arose and he went. Ananias obeyed. He arose and he went. Saul obeyed. He arose and he went. And multitudes have been saved, and here we are today. It's all a matter of being obedient to the command to arise. You say, I can't lead anyone to Christ. Well, that's true if you never arise and go. Now, it's, it's my opinion that the man of God or the child of God with a right heart before God will sometimes have a difficult time delivering messages like God's telling Micah to deliver. There's some messages you just don't want to have to give. There's going to be times you don't feel like contending. Did you know there's messages sometimes I just don't want to stand up and preach. But I know God said you need to. There's times I just want to be left alone. There are times when my flesh has the attitude of, you wouldn't listen, you made this mess, now you go and deal with it. What, am I, am I the only one? Good night. The Lord comes along and He says, arise, contend. And in this I see the goodness of the Lord because I find it remarkable that God would still want to contend with Israel, that He would still want to deal with me, that He would still want to talk to people. God is so long-suffering. He is so compassionate. He is so merciful. Even though the mountains could testify against them and show how God is justified in bringing His judgment to pass and exercising His vengeance that we saw at the close of chapter 5, God is still pleading with them again and again by sending His prophet. Isaiah 1.18, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Come now and let us reason together. Say, why would our Creator God even be mindful of man? Come and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We'll consider this more in depth next week. But the end of Micah 6.2, God says He will plead with Israel. What a gracious God we serve. Amen. I clearly don't have time now. We're being buzzed out. Make sure you have knowledge before you contend. If God is telling you to arise, do it. Let's fill Jerusalem with our doctrine. Amen? Let's pray.